I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, and today we are on location at the Ocean County Police Academy in Ocean County, New Jersey. So all of you from across the country that can pull out your maps, you take a look where Ocean County is, it is the heart of the Jersey Shore. So what am I doing at the police academy today? Well, as many of you know, one of the things that I do is I teach and train law enforcement officers. So today I have a class running here. It's all remote. Uh, we're very, very proud of the fact that the academy lets us use their facilities even if we have no students in the classroom. So we run our remote classes from the academy here because it uh, keeps, us, keeps us in touch with the academy and the students that are at home or at their offices, as we do all of our training remotely now, get the sense that we're, we're still here in the academy. We're still maintaining a lot of law enforcement tradition where a lot of training goes on at the academy. So it's kind of like a memory, memory lane today because, you know, Chasing Justice is dedicated in part and parcel to uh, law enforcement, our military, and chasing justice in, in all its forms across the country. And I thought, while well, I had a few minutes here walking around the academy, I would look at some of the things that make the foundation of our police officers, the things that lead us to feel that our jobs are more than just simply jobs, that they are careers, that they mean something bigger in the bigger picture of life than simply getting a paycheck. Now that's not to disparage other professions. Other professions have their value. I mean, what would we do without our tradesmen? Or tradespeople, I guess I should say nowadays. What would we do without people who do all the jobs that we need in the world? Right? It, our, our society would not be the same. But since I come from law enforcement, I really wanna make sure that I, I keep my roots solid in law enforcement and what it was like. Now, I attended a different police academy than this one. Uh, I attended one probably about 30 miles north of here, uh, the Monmouth County Police Academy, a excellent location, uh, really dedicated staff. Uh, it is run now by Sh uh, Sheriff Sean Golden, who uh, we'll be having on this program uh, at some date in the future. Sean is a tremendous law enforcement leader, has really transformed the Monmouth County Sheriff's Department into an amazing modern law enforcement agency. Matter of fact, I toured the location and since they rebuilt the building and refurbished and created new, it is something you would not see in anything less than the FBI's headquarters or something. Absolutely amazing. But that's the academy I went to because that's the department that hired me. I was up in that area, so that's where they sent me. The Ocean County Police Academy, though, is steeped in tradition. It's, it's located directly uh, in the Ocean County Park, which is near historic Lakewood, New Jersey, which used to be a huge location and draw for people to come uh, back in the 20s and 30s. And the Ocean County Park was actually a private estate of one of the wealthiest families in America. Um, at the moment, I'm having a hard time remembering their names, but they're a very famous American family. And this was a, a shore location that they had a mansion here. Uh, the stables are still here. They use them for the vehicles in the park. But the stables are here. The Rockefellers, I'm sorry, the Rockefeller estate. That's who this used to be. Uh, at some point, 
I believe in the 1950s or 1960s, uh, the mansion was torn down and the property was donated to Ocean County to be used as a park. And it's really a magnificent place in the middle of uh, what is growing uh, urbanization of the area. You know, this part of New Jersey has always been uh, more rural, but as people are moving further and further away from New York City, you know, this part, Ocean County, has become a very popular place to live and raise a family. It's uh, clean air, the beaches are close by, we have pine forests, all the things you would never think of necessarily of New Jersey, especially if you watch something like uh, The Sopranos. And you see Tony Soprano driving through North Jersey, and you see the oil tanks and the trains and the, the turnpike and all that. That's northern Jersey. That's uh, Essex and, uh, you know, Essex County, uh, Jersey City area. That's not the huge majority of New Jersey, which is really a beautiful place. It's called the Garden State for a reason. It's the beautiful farmland in New Jersey, beautiful mountains in our north. We have the beaches all along uh, the coast. And then you have southern New Jersey, which is uh, beautiful in its own. We have the Delaware River. Uh, there's so many wonderful things about New Jersey that people always make fun of the, you know, the turnpike. And do you smell New Jersey? Well, that's really, that's just that, uh, that Essex County area. That's really not the rest of the state. And Essex County has beautiful areas too, don't get me wrong. But here in the Ocean County Police Academy, it's interesting. There are old buildings that go back to the time of the Rockefellers that have been refurbished and rebuilt. And then there's, there's new buildings uh, of the police academy. So they, they did a, I guess, a gentrification of the old part of the building, which is interesting. They built the two right together. So they added on to the old original building. Uh, and you see these modern classrooms, modern equipment. And then you go to the old part of the building where the classrooms are where exactly as they were, uh, probably in some guest quarters uh, for the Rockefellers back in the day. They're smaller rooms, uh, maybe 20 by 20. Uh, it's all old woodwork, but the technology is all brand new. So it's, it's a great juxtaposition. Well, I was just down in the gym. Now, currently there are no recruits here. You know, COVID has slowed down the number of places to train. Uh, Ocean County is expecting an influx of recruits in the next, uh, next couple of weeks, I understand. They're kind of getting back to normal, which is why I can be here. And true security design and Pangaro training can be here. Uh, they've invited us back in, and it's really me and another instructor, and we do everything remotely from here. But when you go down to the gym, it's an interesting thing. You know, one of the foundations of law enforcement training is physical fitness, right? Physical fitness is extremely important, and the gym is a place that, you know, officers congregate, and they, they put you either through forced workouts, you know, your drill sergeant's chasing you around, or you can go there to work out after you're on the job. You can utilize the facilities of the police academy. So it's a place that officers can always come back to. It kind of feels like home a little bit uh, when you have a police academy. But when I'm down there, the walls and the, the ceilings, the rafters, are lined with flags. Now, they're not the kind of flags that you're thinking. Not, not, they're not state flags. They're not American flags. But they're the same shape, you know, two foot by three foot or three foot by four foot kind of things. What they are is recruit class flags, which is really neat. So each recruit class to a police academy has its own identity. Each group usually has a group saying. Now, um, mine was, we were the 30th class in the Monmouth County Police Academy. So we were also moving to a new building. They had built the brand new police academy. So we were the last class 
in the old academy, and we were going to finish our, our training at the new academy. So our, our thing was the uh, 30th class, first and last. You know, first at the new building, last at the old building. And that became our thing. 30th class, first and last. You'd say, you know, every time the drill sergeant came in, who are you people? 30th class, first and last. You know, that kind of thing. But you see these flags hanging there. And each one, each flag represents what was important to that class. So there could be a saying, something like uh, 30th class, first and last. But you look at some of them and they say pride, fidelity, honor, duty, care, compassion. You know, all, whatever was important to that class. So what the class does is gets together and they choose what is, what is our theme? What do we want to say? You know, what, what do we want to make our expression, our place, our legacy here at the academy to be? And you see all these different flags. Now, there's the blue police flag, which is not a racist symbol, no matter what anybody says. It's not. Uh, it's, a, it's a matter of unity, brother and sisterhood, and a desire to do what's right by all of society. And that's what the blue line flag represents. So there's some of those, and then they have patches on them. Uh, some other ones have, uh, there's, uh, I guess there was a class here during 9-11 or shortly thereafter, uh, and their flag has the Twin Towers on it uh, and badges uh, from all the agencies that lost officers uh, in that thing and who served uh, in the aftermath. Then you look around and you'll see other ones that are about the spirit, you know, human spirit and uh, service to one's community and to mankind, right? Really a beautiful statement. That it, now, there has to be a hundred of those banners up there. So each class, whether it's a regular full-time police officer or what we have here in New Jersey called Special Two Officers, uh, those are officers that have all police powers, but only when they're working. So like summertime officers, you might have a department that has 50 officers. In the summer, they need 150. So they hire 100 uh, special class two officers, fully trained, fully trained officers, uh, but they're not full-time with the department. They may only work in the summer or special time. So those are called special twos here in New Jersey. So each class, though, that goes through the academy, they get their training, they, they learn everything they need to learn about being a good, solid police officer, and then they make a banner. It's really an amazing tradition. Another amazing tradition that I've seen in just about every police academy uh, is the class also makes up a plaque. At the end of the class, when you're going to graduate, uh, the class will make up a plaque, usually dedicated to the uh, director of the police academy or dedicated to some special person in the class, you know, a special drill sergeant or something like that. And you dedicate that plaque to them, and they hang on the walls of the police academy. So you'll see as you walk through the academy, uh, the walls are lined with these plaques. Because, you know, hundreds of classes come through, and every class makes a plaque. It's, it's part of the tradition. And one of the things that's always been fun uh, when you go back to your home academy is that at the course of a career, you know, every year there's a new crop of officers, sometimes twice a year, and you meet them through the course of your working days, you know, and as, as you spend more time in the job, you meet more people, and then you go to the academy for a class or a training or a refresher or something, and you walk around and, you, and everybody's looking at each other's uh, class plaque, because normally the plaque will have uh, pictures maybe of something the class was doing, uh, but everyone's name, your name is, is on that plaque somewhere. You know, they get the little badges with your name printed on it, and everybody in the class is there. And you can go find yourself. You look back and say, oh, boy, 
You know, look at those guys and girls I went to the academy with. And then you look at all the other people and you see their classes and you recognize people's names, you know. And I think uh, probably one of the most humbling and shared experiences for many law enforcement officers is that when an officer dies, whether it be uh, as a result of police action or a medical history or car accident or something when they're on duty, you know, there's usually a huge turnout uh, at the funeral, the wake, and there's usually a procession, uh, procession of honor where cops from all over come uh, and show their respects to a brother or sister officer that died in the line. And you'll take, you know, the little cards they give you when you go to the, to the wake, the little card's got a prayer on it, usually in the person's name. You'll see one of those tucked onto one of those plaques. And then you look and you'll see, you know, there's the officer uh, that was part of that class and they're no longer with us. So I know in my class, uh, there's people that, that have passed already, believe it or not. And there's, there's plaques all up and down the hallway with these little cards in them. And when you stop and read them, you know, some of them, you know very clearly, you know that the officer was killed in the line of duty, doing their duty to their community and they sacrificed their life. Uh, whether it be an on-duty car crash responding to a call or the officer was shot or, or in some other way uh, lost their life in the line of duty. And that's a humbling experience. It's, it's also one that connects all of the cops together because even though when I look at the plaques, and, and my, my age, uh, I came on in 1986, but all the plaques before me uh, also included many of the men and women who were on the job many years before I came on, and I got to know them. And when you see, as time goes by, you, know, you see more and more of those cards on their plaques because you realize they're passing just from the passage of time. And it is a connector. It's a connective tissue to all of those. Uh, and then you see the younger officers, the people that came after you. And when you see um, a little card or a remembrance of one of those officers who lost, lost their life in the line of duty, it connects every single officer to every other officer. And when you think about these plaques in every police academy across the entire United States, you see that the men and women of law enforcement really are connected together uh, at the heart and the soul. And that is really what's what the blue flag the blue line flag that's really what that represents so people can come out and they can tell you lies and tell you that it's a racist symbol or it's a symbol of hatred or it's a white supremacist symbol or it's some other nonsense um, it's none of that the blue line flag represents the heart and soul of men and women of law enforcement who have dedicated their lives to serving their community uh, the men and women who have decided to sacrifice Many, many things you sacrifice as a law enforcement career. You know, I can't tell you how many uh, of my children's birthday parties I missed or how many anniversaries I missed because I was working or how many just weekends. For many, many years, a new officer will work the weekends and midnight shifts and, you know, the holidays. You miss all of those things. Now, you do it because you're dedicated to the job, because you love the job. You love the work. It's, it's a very meaningful career. Law enforcement is a very noble career. The men and women who have given their lives to law enforcement uh, and by way of a career are all heroes, each and every one of them. And then the men and women who have sacrificed their lives at the altar of freedom for all of us are the greatest heroes of all. So when I walk around this police academy and I see these plaques and I see these flags and then you do see American flags everywhere because at its heart law enforcement 
is a patriotic group of people. They believe in the ideals of freedom and liberty, and like we do here, in justice. And they've dedicated their lives to those precepts and concepts. So when I walk around here, while I didn't go to this academy, I do teach here. I've been teaching here for well over 10 years. I teach brand new recruits that are trying to make their way through it and survive their drill sergeants. Uh, I teach elective courses here. I teach investigative courses here. And then I come back and I, I help with the uh, certifications of people that need to be certified in teaching and training and those kind of things. So I'm very well connected to this academy. It's a, it's a, it's a place of honor. It's a place of dignity, of history, and tradition. And I'm very, very proud that I'm connected to them here. So as I walk around these hallways, I reflect back on my career and all the things that it meant to me. And it really does feel good at the end of the day. You know, when you turn out the lights and you check the house and you make sure everything's safe and secure and uh, you hear your family members sleeping quietly, safely, and the dog's put away and everything's good and you, you lay in bed, you pull up the covers and you think about what have I done that's been good in my life? What have I done to give back to a society? And when I think about my police career, I'm very, very proud of the fact that I was privileged enough to become a police officer and to serve my community. It is probably one of the most important things I could think to do and a way for me to give back to the community. So that's what the academy means to me and that's what it means to every police officer. As uh, they graduate, you know, there's all of that anxiety about getting ready to go and then you're there and there's a lot of stress when you're at the academy and then you graduate and then it becomes a, a place of family. I guess that's probably the best way to, to describe it. Every cop has funny stories about their time in the police academy. Every cop has funny stories about being chased around by drill sergeants who are chasing you and making you run and climb and do push-ups and dead cockroach positions and go to get male and female rocks down at the lake or whatever it is that's unique to that particular police academy. It's all ritual and tradition that builds the foundation of a tremendous career for a law enforcement officer that is founded on honor, decency, integrity, and service to community. And that's what I want everybody out there in Chasing Justice land to think of when you see that blue line flag. Don't believe the nonsense. It's not about hate. It's about brotherhood and sisterhood of people who are serving their community because they love the community. So this is Lieutenant Joe, Reflections from a law enforcement past. We'll be back in a minute with round two here on Chasing Justice on the America Out Loud Radio Network. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep, but it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. 
Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Fighting every day against the cancel culture that wants to silence and erase us. Five years on the air and we will not be silenced. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends, Chasing Justice. It's great to be here with you every weekday afternoon. You know, people listen from all over the country. I, I never cease to be amazed by that. You know, you don't realize the reach of an organization like uh, America Out Loud. It really is worldwide. You know, I do get emails and I get messages from people around the world who are listening on the Internet. And they agree most of the time. Sometimes they disagree. I don't know. I don't think I take that controversial of points of view. I believe in truth, justice, the American way, and doing right by each other. I believe in God and family. And if those things are controversial, then I guess I'm controversial. But normally, I take the side of goodness and righteousness, right? That doesn't make me a, uh, uh, a lollipop kind of a guy. I believe in right and wrong, and, and sometimes things are difficult. But mostly, I try and do the right thing. I often fall short. Uh, I go to church on Sunday, and I listen to the, to the sermon, and I sit there, and I realize, boy, I've got a lot to be grateful for. And, uh, boy, i got to do a lot better in my life because everyone makes mistakes. Everyone does wrong. But... This is what chasing justice is really about, trying to find out what things are and, and figure things out and do the right thing. So when we look at um, cold cases, which I want to do more and more of because you see them being solved now all the time, don't you? We see a lot of cold cases being solved because of uh, DNA. You know, DNA uh, is really an amazing change in law enforcement because your DNA is so unique to you. Um, that it's hard to it's hard to when you have a good DNA sample, it's hard for anyone to ever argue that it wasn't me at a particular place. Now, you can certainly be at a place, and your DNA can be there, and you didn't commit a crime. But uh, normally, the way the DNA is used, it's uh, it's very influential uh, in determining if someone committed a crime or not. So recently, I was teaching a class, and, and it's you know I teach lots of different classes, but they're all related to human existence, human conditioning, how we, how we treat each other, because that's what law enforcement is, right? I guess that's kind of our theme today. You know, law enforcement, what does it involve? So when I teach a course about interview, right, a course about interview is about understanding other people and how they communicate and how to communicate with them, how to get information from people, how to understand uh, what they know and, and use it to help someone else who's in the middle of a crime, who's been victimized or something. So one of the things that I talk about is that an interview, uh, the purpose of an interview is it's an exchange of information between two people. Uh, you want to know something. You want to understand something. You want to learn something. You want to get the full picture of something. And you do that by exchanging information with other people. Uh, in the course of a police interview, obviously the officers have to control that interview uh, and guide it to where they want it to go because we always have to seek the truth. This is something 
that in the bigger picture of our society, this is where I see some problems. And I think we can all see some problems. So let me ask you this. Does the truth matter anymore at all? I mean, what's the purpose of the truth, right? The purpose of the truth is so that we understand real things. Uh, not that we live in fantasy land or we get to just have our own beliefs, but we understand the reality of situation. That's why we want the truth. That's why we want the truth from our news media, right? I don't want things candy coated. I don't want people to, to only tell one side of a story so, and my side so it feels good to hear it. I'd rather know the truth so I can react to it, deal with it, change, adapt, whatever I have to do when I know the truth, right? More sets of facts are going to help us. This is also a chase for justice. So when I teach I, all my classes, whether, like I said, whether it's interview or whether it is crime scene, uh, you know, there's stuff there, whether it is juvenile investigations, how do we deal with juveniles? Are juveniles involved in the same things today as they were 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago? You know, today we see juveniles committing carjackings, uh, killing people, murdering people. We see young girls killing each other, stabbing each other. We see gang activity with young people that we never really saw before. There was always gangs, but we never saw the, the amount of violence, the deadly violence that we see now with juveniles. So I teach a course uh, with a couple other people on juvenile investigations, you know, how to, how to deal with juveniles. In our interview class, there's different ways you interview juveniles than adults because they have different understanding of learning and they have different things that are important to them. You know, their friends are so important to them. Uh, where adults have what I call jeopardy. And when you have jeopardy, uh, that's usually the thing that you're trying to protect, you're trying to avoid your jeopardy. Uh, so you'll respond as an adult. When you have so much jeopardy, it's better to tell the truth and, and maybe give up who else was involved in a crime with you or where the, the, the murder weapon is or where the body is buried, whatever. Because the consequences are much greater for not doing it. Right? With juveniles, it doesn't quite work that way. Juveniles are more concerned about their friends. They would rather take a punishment themselves than give up a friend, where adults, their juvenile, their understanding of Jeopardy uh, is that, boy, this is going to be really painful to me and my family. I probably should take the weight of whatever I did and, and confess to it. So all of these things connect to human actions. And I usually break it down and I say, let's think about some of the human emotions. Right? What are some human emotions? We have happiness. We have joy, we have gratefulness, we have excitement, um, we have love. All those, those, are, those are good, positive human emotions, right? You don't usually get in a lot of trouble uh, when it comes to human emotions that are positive. It's our negative human emotions that often lead us astray and into lots of problems. Let's think about jealousy, anger, hatred, uh, suspicion, all these kind of negative things lead us down a path where we can often get involved in things we shouldn't, right? Greed, avarice, those kind of things. So the historical lessons, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Seven Deadly Sins, they, they, they're not just religious. They actually speak to human nature. And isn't human nature really what all of law enforcement is about? Understanding it, interacting it, refereeing it, uh, holding it accountable. You know, if everybody just did good things and was nice to each other, there'd be no need for law enforcement. Unfortunately, that is the, the other side of humanity and our, our human nature, is that we do have that dark side. 
So when I break things down into the good emotions, positive emotions, and the negative emotions, if you follow them, often like the saying, follow the money, if you want to know who did the bad things, following the emotions can often help us to understand what happened and why, which can give us motive, uh, and then you look for opportunity, that kind of thing. So all of my classes really are about interacting with people, and that is why I think in the course of my career where I loved law enforcement so much, because I do like to interact with people. So I taught a class the other day. Now, it's something, it's hard to talk about, this class, but it's necessary, and I find every time I teach it, the student officers, um, they, they do learn things because um, we, don't, we don't know as much as we, as we think you do. So the class is on sexual assault investigations, right? A very difficult topic, as you can imagine, to talk about. Nobody wants to think about being a victim of sexual assault, male or female. doesn't make a difference. It's devastating to no matter who it happens to. But when I teach that class, I'm teaching these young men and women who are going to be investigating these crimes. And it's not so much teaching them exactly what to say or how to say it. It's more teaching them about how to interact with the victims, the suspects, and the witnesses. See, because once again, law enforcement is really all about people and what people do. So understanding your victim, you know, is this a genuine victim? Uh, is this a victim who has other motives? Is this a real accused or is this someone who's been blamed for something? Did this witness actually hear and see the things they're saying or were they told the things they're hearing and saying? And it, it's all extremely important. You know, I find it funny though, because if you're not in law enforcement, you know, we all have an idea of, you know, sexual assault. We're all thinking rape, right? That's, that's sexual. And it is. But there's, there's also other kinds of touching and, and doing things to people that is considered assault, uh, sexually in nature. When I talk to the men and women, the laws of each state are a little bit different, but they all have the same basic elements. And one of them is understanding the nomenclature of human bodies. And while everybody thinks they're an expert uh, in the... Uh, in their bodies and other people's bodies. When it comes down to it, what I call the nomenclature of the human body, it's interesting that sometimes even our law enforcement officers don't have a full grasp of anatomy. And I have to go into a whole program about that. And I, I always find that amusing because as a person, you would think to stand up on the board and be drawing, you know, drawing pictures and describing human anatomy, uh, sexual parts, uh, would be really uncomfortable. And it is, and it was the first couple times. But after a while, you start to realize, like much of law enforcement, it's not about me, Joe Pangaro. It's about me, the law enforcement officer, right? And, and you kind of separate yourself from it. Just like as a teacher, it's not about me. It's about me providing these young men and women with the information they need so they can go out and do a good job uh, in law enforcement, especially when it comes to something serious like a sexual assault. So. It's, it's been a, an, interesting, an interesting challenge to, to figure out all these different ways to deal with, with people and different, different groups, different um, groups of law enforcement officers. We all come from different places culturally, uh, ethnically, uh, societally, economically, uh, and we all come together and there's one binding, uh, one binding element that binds all of us together in law enforcement. And that is the law, as simple as that. The law does not discriminate between different religions. 
The law does not discriminate between um, different genders, no matter how many of them uh, are out there. The law does not differentiate between right and wrong, race, or any of these other things that separate all the rest of our society. The law talks about people. What should one person not do to another person, right? Uh, and because we are the highest form of life here on the planet, it also talks about what people, what humans should not do to animals and to property, right? Because we do, we do bad stuff to everything here on the planet as human beings. But it's, it's interesting to try and teach these things because you realize that's what it all comes down to. It's who I am as a person, who you are as a person, what I believe, and how I behave when I'm out in the world. You know, if you behave properly and treat people with respect, you'll, you'll get along fine. You'll, you'll have a good life. Everybody will have a good life. Unfortunately, not everyone believes in that. Some people act on their impulses. Now, we all have impulses, don't we? Right? It's one of the things I talk about, especially in that sex assault class. I say, listen, I ask a lot of questions, and I ask the students to answer my questions all the time. But when it comes to certain questions, I say, listen, I don't want to know the answer to this question. So it's things like we have the, the, you know, the emotions, the good and the bad. Well, we all have proclivities. There's things that we all do as human beings, things that we like and don't like. I mean, some people like uh, key lime pie, and other people could not stand key lime pie, right? So the things that we like are, are unique. You know, the sex drive is built into us. You know, it's built in there for a survival of the, of the species, right? We have to have a sex drive, otherwise the species might die out. What I've found in the course of my career, it's very hard for people to change their sex drive. Now, most of us have a normal sex drive. You know, you like who you like and you want to engage with them and that leads to intimacy and that's all a beautiful thing. When it comes to making children, that's the only way really to do it. Uh, you can do it in vitro in a, in, a, in a glass tube or something, I suppose, but that's not how we're meant to do it. That just happens to be a product of our modern technology. But it's about the interaction between people where we can all have proclivities. I can really like something and want to do something really a lot, but you know what? Um, my partner doesn't want to do that, so therefore I have to control myself. And that leads to our first set of... Um, you know, that's where the bad emotions come in. Well, I want to do A, B, and C, and my partner doesn't, so therefore I'll go find a new partner. And that maybe that leads you to uh, infidelity, which then leads to lying, leads to cheating, and the destruction of a relationship and hurt feelings and pain and all that other stuff. So those negative emotions lead that way. But it's about self-control. And then there are people out there, we know, that do not control themselves at all. They take advantage of whoever they can take advantage of. They take advantage of opportunities, and they prey on other people. You know, this is a reality of humanity. So teaching the men and women who attend police academies and then get out on the road and have to do the work that we demand of them is, it is, it is a thrilling thing to do because you're, you're imparting information on people. I was very lucky to have a lot of different men and women um, helped me in the course of my career. They didn't just tell me when I did something good. You know, that's nice. Good always takes care of itself. They told me when I did something wrong. They told me when I did something dangerous or foolish. And they'd say, hey, listen, you know, you're going to get yourself hurt. You're going to get somebody else hurt. That's not the way to behave yourself. That's not the way to handle this particular situation. And you learn to control how you behave. This is at the essence of where crime comes in.
you know, I may see the neighbor has, you know, a really nice car and I have a crappy car and I really want that nice car. And one day I see the neighbor leaves the keys in it, so I jump in it and take off with it, right? I teach and use Dr. Lecter, uh, and I think I've told you this before. I use Dr. Lecter uh, from the movie Silence of the Lambs because they had behavioral uh, scientists in there helping them uh, with the scripting. They had to because they got some things very closely correct. And he would say, you covet what you see every day. Right? You covet what you see every day. Right? So I might see the neighbor's wife, and I like her, and I, I really want to be with her. Well, that's coveting, right? But I don't see the woman around the corner because I don't see her every day. Right? Same thing with, with all of these things. People see uh, money. Money can buy me the things I want that I don't have. And look at that gasoline station. That guy's got a pocket full of money. I'll go take it from him. Right? Or even if you look at less violent crimes, what about you know, insurance fraud? People that fake up an injury or fake up an accident or fake up some other thing to collect from the insurance. Because you know what? Those insurance companies got plenty of money. They're robbing everybody. It doesn't make a difference. You make a claim. Not a good idea. It is still comes down to those emotions, those human emotions, those negative human emotions, jealousy, anger. You're upset you don't have those things. You wish you had them. Someone else has them. You're going to go take them, right? That's, that's all part of the pattern. And teaching these things over the years is what I have learned, is that that's really what all of law enforcement is about. It's about understanding other people. It's about understanding how they behave and why, what makes their, what makes their head work. Uh, and in, in, the, in the cases of people who commit crime, why do they see that as the best option and then go out and act on it, right? How many times have you probably wanted to do something you knew you were wrong in doing and you didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? You could probably get away with There's lots of things we could all get away with. Why don't you do it? Well, because that's a moral code that's built into you. You've been taught that. It's become part of your life. You saw it. And you learned to control your feelings. Well, that is part of, you know, the new world of law enforcement, as we go into this, is, is explaining to these officers that they are there to serve the community. That is the most important thing that they're doing. And while that has always been uh, the number one thing, believe it or not, uh, what our officers do is they do serve their community. They want to be community people and go do the right thing. It's our modern world that has convinced us that, you know, cops are out there to do bad things, that they want to do bad things when they really do not want to do bad things. Unfortunately, like all other endeavors of human nature, when you involve people, sometimes bad things happen. Our job is to recognize that identify when it happens, and fix it. So ladies and gentlemen, as we end here, round two of the Chasing Justice Show with Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, there's some more insight into law enforcement and human nature, right? So we have the police academy for tradition and foundation. Then we have what our officers learn out there and how they understand to deal with people. It is all in pursuit of justice. And we'll be back in a minute for round three. Now, never before in our history, have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up for what is right and to show our support? That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called ShopToTheRight.com. It's a new shopping platform that will help you 
Find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together and we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. Shoptotheright.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans. All right, then, here we go with round three here on Chasing Justice of the America Out Loud Radio Network. So now we're going to do a little free-for-all, a little, um, I guess, you know, random thoughts and things that come to my mind here. We'll look at the news a little bit. I wanted to give you that th- those first two segments on law enforcement because I think it's important. It's important every day for all of us to understand the value Uh, that we all have and that law enforcement people have. And and for my brothers and sisters out there on the job right now, for those that served before like I did and those who will serve in the future, remember, it is a very, very noble and needed profession. Do it right, do it every day, and serve your community. You know, it's just like our military. What what an amazing thing those men and women do. Uh, We really have to stop and think once in a while about the foundational tools of, of a good society. And law enforcement and our military are certainly two of the most important. Now, to continue the theme about human interaction and, and what people do and say, because I also teach all the time that words mean things, right? When you say something, it means something. When you don't say something, it means things. The specific words you use mean things. You know, uh, I, I talked about, um, I teach in one of my classes, I say, who is this guy? Now, it's going to be an impression, so you've got to kind of tune your ears in for an impression. I'm not saying it's good, but it's an impression. All right, you ready? depends on what is is right now you got a picture i'm holding my thumb up a little bit when i'm saying that depends on what is is right for those who can't guess it or weren't around for that that time that was president bill clinton now bill clinton was a guy who was parsing his words because words mean things how we say them what we do the whole purpose of parsing your words is to give yourself wiggle room that is absolutely the purpose of um parsing words so that you could go back later on and say, well, that's not what I meant. I said this, but I meant that, right? And that's, that's also human nature. That is what people do. Um, they parse their words when they don't tell the truth. They tell half-truths. Let's think about our politicians for a few minutes. Is there anyone left on the planet, but let's deal with the United States, anyone left in the United States who believes that these politicians the majority of them, the majority of them, actually mean or intend to do the things that they promise us. That's a big word, right? That's a big word. Every, every election cycle, campaign promises. Oh, they mean so. Oh, they promise to do these things, and then they don't do them, right? Why is that important to us, to get promised that they're going to do things? Well, because we, we want things done. And the person that says they, they promise, see, that's a connection. Right? That there's an emotional bond there. I promise to do something, and you accept that promise. You expect me to do it, and then with honor and dignity, I should fulfill that promise or explain to you why I could not. Right? What's inappropriate is when I make a promise knowing I have no intention of fulfilling it, going through with it, or doing it. 
right? That is where a promise uh, goes wrong. So there's a controversy now down on our, on our border because thousands and thousands of people who are seeking a better life, I believe honestly that's what the vast majority of all the people coming up uh, from the South crossing our border uh, are doing. They're trying to find a better life for them and their families. I, I don't blame them for that. Everyone wants a better life. The reality is, as we've said a thousand times, you can't just walk in somewhere and take something because you want it. You know, there's rules to follow. You don't go to your neighbor's house and walk in and take over their stuff because they got better stuff than you. Well, I understand the men and women who are coming up here from all over South America, not only there, uh, from Mexico, South America, Central America. There's, they have found, I heard the other day they found people from 22 different countries, and not just the southern countries, but from Europe, all over the place, that are saying, hey, open border, this is our chance to get in, right? So President Biden, um, and apparently in 2019, uh, he made comments about, you know, people coming. Uh, he talked about it in the campaign, about having people come, that one of the first things he would do is stop this horrible uh, border wall, and he would understand people, and they would be able to come and make their lives better. Well, when he won the presidency, what did people do? They started coming because he sent the signal. The president sends a signal. Words mean things. Words by the president mean things. Didn't they get very upset with Trump because he didn't realize that the things he says has so much weight and when he makes says something stupid it can really cause a problem? Well, President Biden has been clear that he wants people to come here. Uh, it seems clear to me as an observer without taking a political opinion, you know, you look at the evidence. Why would you fling open your borders at a time when your economy is, is having a hard time, at a time when there's a pandemic and we're, we're locking our own citizens down, keeping people from going to work, keeping people from living their lives, from going to school because of this pandemic. Why would you open the borders and let people just come pouring in without any health screening, without any worrying about whether or not they're social distancing, wearing masks, whether they're testing positive for COVID? Why would you do that if your concern was about health and, and when, of people, right? Why would you tell people they could come flooding in when many people are uneducated, so the jobs they're going to get are going to be lower socioeconomic jobs? Why would you do that at a time when our economy is faltering and we have American citizens here who are fighting for those jobs, trying to feed their families? What would the purpose be? All right? You can say it's humanitarian. Oh, I want to do the right thing and let them in. And what? Bring everyone's standard down? Is that really the purpose? Well. I got to be honest with you. If I thought that those people really cared about all those people who want to come here, I might say, okay, they're naive. They're naive thinking that that's the answer. Just let everybody come in. Unfortunately, I don't think they're naive. I think they're seeing all of these people who want to come here as voters. And I think that's the bottom line. You know, can we believe? any more that these people, these politicians, really want to do the right thing, that they really want to uh, keep their promises? Or do they just want to say what they think we want to hear so we're stupid enough to vote for them, and then they do what they want? Similarly, when I see this situation, you know, Joe Biden made it very, very clear that people were going to come here, the wall was going to be shut down, we're not building it anymore, and people are going to be coming in America welcome. No questions asked. No holes barred, no references, no medical checks, nothing. And what do we have? 
We have thousands and thousands and thousands of people flooding the border, unaccompanied children, young children trying to get into America because they want a better life. Their families are sending them. In some instances, they're rented to people who want to get across the border because families get to just be released into the country, right? We're not making people wait in other countries till they can determine if we, if we want them here or not. So these people are coming, and now that it's turned into a nightmare, it is a night, a humanitarian nightmare on the border. Now President Biden's saying, oh, I never said to come here. I told them to wait. Wait till we have everything in place. Really? Does anybody really believe that? No, that's just his reaction and his next statement to deal with the crisis that he's created. And again, couldn't you have foreseen this crisis? Isn't, that, isn't, isn't there a way for us to say, well, if I do A, B, C, and D, then E, F, G, and H are going to happen. Let's look at the evidence. Let's look at the history, and let's figure it out. Yeah, it seems pretty likely that'll happen, so then I better not do A, B, C, and D. Doesn't that make sense? Right? Maybe, maybe let me find some other way to do the things I need if your concern was really for those poor people who want to come here for a better life. If that was your concern, you'd find a different way to handle it. You know, maybe you would reform our immigration system to allow more people in, maybe just temporary workers so they can come and work and then go back home. That they don't have to stay here for citizenship. They get to work and they go home, right? Maybe there's something we could do there. But instead, it's very clear, President Biden called for all these people to come and now he's saying he didn't, when we all know he did. It's just like making a promise and not fulfilling it. Don't we all see that? But yet we continue to vote for these people. And on both sides of the aisle, we vote for them both on both sides of the aisle, and they lie to us left and right, sometimes blatantly lie, sometimes, you know, less than blatant. They just promise us things that they never come through with. I think the, an embarrassment for the Republicans was that for years and years and years, they would tell us, oh, if we get the Congress, we'll do this. If we get the, now we need the Senate. Oh, if we get the presidents. And then they had all that and they did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Donald Trump comes in. You might not like the big orange man, but he came in and said, we're going to fix this. And he fixed it. We're going to do that. And he did it. Right? We're going to seal the border and make it safer. And he did it. Right? That embarrasses them because they're not there to serve the people. They're there to serve themselves for the most part. I think we all have to be honest about that. You know, if, if serving the people happens to coincide with serving themselves, then of course they'll do it. You know, but it's, it's not the number one goal there. You know, how do you get a, a congressperson or a senator to come in with a net worth of uh, $500,000, they make 180000 a year, and 10 years later they got $47 million? You know, I think we've been over this a few times. Could you do that? What kind of investments must every one of them have that they're so smart that they can turn, you know, a uh, million dollars into $42 million in 10 years? Uh, I'd like to know that formula. Well, the formula's pretty clear. Get yourself elected, go to Washington, and uh, start uh, sucking up the gravy train. Well, once you get on that gravy train, you don't want to lose that gravy train, right? So therefore, you do what you have to do to maintain that gravy train. Let's go back to human emotions. Wouldn't that be greed, avarice, self-serving? That's not serving others. It all comes down, down to the human condition. So if we think about these promises, Joe Biden basically didn't say, I promise you, you can all come in. But that's what he was saying. By saying, I'm going to stop the wall. I'm going to uh, stop all this catch and release, this evil children in cages. When I put them in cages, we're going to call it uh, refugee centers, right? And then our corrupt media goes along with that. 
You know, can you imagine if Donald Trump said nobody can go in and look at these facilities and the press would all just say, well, okay, Mr. President, let us in when you're ready, which is what they've said to Joe Biden. Why aren't they demanding to see the conditions? Because we, the people, have a right to see the conditions and we can't go there. Our press should go there and show us what's really going on. But they're not. They're corrupted, too. They're, they, they all have a point of view. Who is it? Um, there was a judge uh, in the district uh, appellate court, district appellate court of, of uh, District of Columbia. I wish I could remember his name. I just read the article. He came out and he gave a blasting uh, opinion on the modern press and how the newspapers, the cable TV, the network news are all so obviously biased in favor of one party over the other, that their stories reflect it, their reporters reflect it, the way they tell a story reflects it, and that that does not serve democracy. In fact, it actually puts in danger freedom, liberty, democracy, and justice. So we see this. We see these politicians. We see that their promises are really hollow, but yet we go out and we vote for them. Well, why is that? Does it come down to always the, the better of two evils? Well, this one's going to lie to me and hurt me, and this one's going to lie to me and hurt me even more, so I'll vote for the guy or the girl that's just going to lie to me and hurt me. That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Because decent people can't go out there. Because we've all made mistakes. Didn't I say that earlier? We've all made mistakes in life. We've all done things we're probably not proud of as we learned, as we grew, as we worked our way through the positive and negative emotions of human uh, interaction. We learn. We change, right? Because we thought something 30 years ago doesn't mean we think it now. We all go through growth and change, and we see the world differently. We see people differently, and we learn. We evolve. We do. I actually believe that about people. You know, so when I see these things, that, well, you said this 30 years ago, and therefore, yeah, maybe 30 years ago they did. But maybe they've had life-changing experiences since then where they see something differently. They see someone differently, or they see everything differently. You know, people go through this. Don't we believe, don't we, don't we, aren't we dying to believe this about prisoners in jail? That they've been in jail and now they've, they've seen the world in a whole new way. They're not going to come out and rape and rob and kill us anymore. We want to let them out. Because we believe it. Isn't that a promise that they're making to us? I've had this change of life. So do we really believe people can change? Or do they not change? Right? That's really what this all comes down to here. I guess I'm trying to get to the point. When we're pursuing justice... We have to understand what justice is. You know, did you think anything or believe anything last week that you don't believe today? How about 30 years ago or 40 years ago? What might have been the norm, and because it was the norm for society, you believed it. But as time went on and new facts were presented, you changed your belief. You no longer believe it, even if you said it back then that you did believe it. Now you don't. I absolutely believe that can happen, but it's, it's about being genuine, and it's not just about words. It's about deeds, because while words may mean things, deeds mean things even more. So you can say, uh, I'm now against that. But if you do nothing to, uh, to change anything, then you're really not filled with sincerity, I don't think. And I don't know. That's my opinion. You don't have to listen to my opinion. You've got your own opinion. But this is where I think we all need to consider our politicians lie to us, and we vote for them over and over and over again. And they do the same things over and over and over again. And now we're seeing what could be easily explained as bad policies were overrun 
by the fact that people didn't like tweeting or they didn't like the personality or the hair color uh, or the way somebody walked or played golf or whatever. They didn't like that person enough because of those idiot traits like that that they would replace them with policies that are actually bad for people. Gas prices are up. The economy is uh, recovering, thank God, but I think there's a, uh, there's a, a limit to what's going to happen there. Companies are starting to leave again. They're deciding to leave uh, because the benefits of coming back to America are only, only as strong as the person in the White House who's willing to uh, applaud them. Once you want to change the corporate tax rate and go after them, take their money again, they're going to leave again, right? Because people act in self-interest, and we're seeing that starting to happen slow and steady. So I hope I'm wrong. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that our current administration is really great and that I'm completely wrong and that history is wrong and it doesn't repeat itself and, you know, that more socialistic policies were going to work out and we're, we're, all gonna, we're all gonna, all our ships are going to rise. I certainly hope that's what happens. I'd love to be proved wrong. All right? I, I don't feel this way because I hate anyone or because I, hurt, I don't want to hurt somebody. None of that. I look at reality. And I just try and say, where's the truth? Where is the reality in this situation? What actually works better? High taxes? If I tax the hell out of everybody, are we all going to get rich? Or are we all going to be paying taxes? Right? Uh, if I regulate business until it can't function, is that going to help them to hire people and give more people jobs and benefits? Or less people? Well, it's going to do less people. I can tell you that confidently. Um, you know, so all of these kind of things, these policies, that these get-even policies, they go back to human emotion, don't they? Get even with these rich people. Get even with these businesses. Get even with successful people. Isn't that really jealousy, right? Because we, we, we say it's their greed. They got greed because they made all this money. But it's really our jealousy that's driving it. So I don't want to belabor the point. I love spending time with everybody here every afternoon here on Chasing Justice on the America Out Loud radio network. I hope we had some things to think about today. This is another one of Lieutenant Joe's introspective kind of programs where I'm seeing the weather changing. I'm seeing the times change. I'm hoping that we're coming out of this COVID and we can be hopeful and bright and happy and love each other and find a way to get along. But I think we have to be honest in every situation. We should always seek truth, and seek justice. So remember, my friends, until we meet again, be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice here in the America Out Loud Radio Network.